Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. I want you to go to, with me to Matthew 25, Matthew 25, and... I'm just going to look at one verse here uh, in a moment, so I won't tell you where that is just yet. Uh, what I want to talk to you today, the Lord ha- has put this on my heart. You know, the, the coming of the Lord draws near. We talked this morning about the fact that Jesus is coming back. He said, if I go away, I will come again. And we know that the return of the Lord Jesus Christ Uh, is first of all to catch away the church and that after the church is called away, then the Antichrist will come on the scene and be revealed and there will be a time of trouble uh, on the earth, the likes of which the world, the earth has never seen before. The church will be vacant during this time. The work of the Holy Spirit through the church. Now the Holy Spirit is God, so he's always present everywhere. But his work through the church in the earth will not, be, will not be going on. And during this time, the Bible says God will give, God will give men delusion, strong delusion to believe the lies of the Antichrist. That's a, that's a terrible thing to contemplate. And, it, and he said because, the reason he will do this is because the people who are left, who are left hated the truth denied the truth and refused to come to the light. And so this world is headed for a time of of tremendous darkness after the church leaves here. And we, of course, we know that after the tribulation period, the Lord Jesus then will will return in in what we call the full-blown second coming of Christ. He will come in power and in glory and in judgment. And uh, he will judge the nations. He will set up his millennial reign on the earth for a thousand years. And I'm not going to get into a lot of end time things today. Just setting the stage here for a moment. So we know that Jesus is coming soon. And that the church age is soon to come to an end. And so what we do as Christians, we must do quickly and we must be serious about it, and we need to be thinking about it, we need to be conscious every day that the time of opportunity for men is ticking away rapidly. And we have the message. We have the, the message of deliverance. We have the, the, the truth that men must receive and, and lay hold of. Because people who do not receive the Lord Jesus Christ Those who reject him, the Bible says they are headed for the devil's hell. Now, that's not something that people talk about a whole lot anymore. And I understand, so I'm going to be talking about hell today. I said all that to say this, I'm going to be talking about hell. And the reason I'm doing that, I'm not suggesting that that the truth of hell is necessarily the best evangelical tool. I'm not saying that's the best way to share the gospel is to warn people about hell. I, I, I will say this, that sometimes it needs to be done. But we know that the message of the gospel is the grace of God, the love of God, uh, reconciliation, the forgiveness and what God has already done to deliver men from the judgment to come. But in the church world today, there seems to be a reluctance to even talk about or even acknowledge the fact that judgment is coming. And so a lot of the church world is sort of like the idea of hell has been sort of whitewashed out of the, of the picture and out of the story. And nobody wants to talk about it. But as believers, we need to talk about it because it's a present reality. It's a looming, tremendous reality for millions of people and billions of people who are alive on this planet, planet right now. And so the message and the truth of hell should stir us up. It should stir us up to understand how dire and how critical and how important it is in the times in which we live, in the time that is is rapidly running out, like I said, that we are about 
the Father's business in doing what we need to do, amen? So I wanna talk to you about hell just so that you will understand uh, what the Bible says about it. And let's go here in, in Matthew 25. And let's look, we're not gonna read this entire passage. As soon as we read this verse, you'll kind of, if you know your Bible, you'll know what he was talking about. We're not gonna go into all that. Verse 41, it says, then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I first want to point out the fact that Jesus talked about hell a lot. Now, we all want to talk about Jesus, the, the merciful, the loving, the gracious Lord Jesus Christ. He is the epitome of the love of God. He is, uh, the Bible says the law came through Mo Moses, but grace and truth came through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the epitome of those things. And yet this man, who was the personification of love and mercy and forgiveness, talked frequently and warned frequently about hell. This is one of those uh, occasions. But I wanted to point out this particular thing about hell. He called it here just everlasting fire. And he said that, it's, that it was prepared for the devil and his angels. God did not prepare hell for man. Hell was prepared for Satan, that is the devil, Satan, and his angels. And every person who ends up in hell goes there against the will of God. It's not the will of God that any perish, but that all find eternal life. Amen? And so let's look at the history of hell and uh, what the Bible says about it. And you will see that the term hell covers several different places. There are several different uh, compartments or several different uh, locations or, how did I write it down? Departments in the underworld of departed spirits. There are several different places that all kind of come under the general category of hell. The first one is called Tartarus. Tartarus. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. And let's look at verse, well, we'll start in verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. This is 1 Peter 3, 18, and now we're in verse 19. By whom he also went and preached, now we'll notice this, to the spirits in prison. This is when Jesus was crucified during the three days and three nights. He went to a place where spirits were in prison. And he went to them to preach to them or to declare the judgment of God to them. And it says these spirits, verse 20, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. I was recently uh, teaching. I did a series for, I think, three or four weeks on the family. We talked a lot about Noah and how God, how Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord and how God instructed him to build an ark and commanded him to, to go and to take his family into the ark. And so we were talking about the, the, the uh, wonderful truth that God intends redemption for the whole family. But it says here that God was patient in the days of Noah and waited while the ark was being prepared. And there were a, a, a few, that is eight souls were saved through water. That was Noah and his family. And they, they were saved from the destruction that was coming. And it was tied to something that had happened here. It says that these spirits, there were certain spirits who were placed in prison by God. And they were formerly disobedient during the days of Noah. It says who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah. So there were fallen angels who were disobedient to such a degree in the days of Noah 
that they were locked away in prison. Now, there's another reference that, that talks about this same thing, and it's in the second epistle of Peter. Turn over to 2 Peter. He talks about it again in his second epistle, chapter 2, verse number 4, and we'll read down through verse 6. 2 Peter 2, 4 through 6. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell. Now, this word hell here is... Uh, the Greek word Tartarus, and that's what we're talking about. This is, a, this is not the hell where people who die today who are lost, they don't go to Tartarus. This is a place where, where these angels were placed. But all of these different compartments collectively can be called hell. And so it says, for God did not spare the angels who sinned. So we know who those spirits were. Remember in the previous verse, spirits who were in prison? Well, these spirits were angels fallen angels, God did not spare them but cast them down to Tartarus and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world but saved Noah. And notice again the connection with these angels and the time of Noah. This is when this happened. Did not spare the ancient world but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, this was at a later date, Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning them to destruction, making them an example to those who, would af who afterward would live ungodly. So he talks about what happened in the time of Noah, how that these angels sinned and that God cast them down and, into Tartarus and put them here, it says, not just in that place, but in chains. It's a place of darkness. There is no light at all in Tartarus. And it's complete darkness. But these angels were not just put in prison. They were put in chains in prison. And so if you would go with me to a third reference to this and go over to the book of Jude. The book of Jude. And look at verse number six, verses six and seven. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So you can see again that he's talking about angels. We just read about that in Second Peter 2 and then uh, the spirits who were in prison. Here he talks about these angels again who are reserved in everlasting chains, that means it's never ending. They're, in, they're not only in darkness, but they're in everlasting chains and they're awaiting the judgment of the great day. Now let me, if I can, jump way ahead to the, to the last compartment and that's called the lake of fire. Eventually, all of these spirits, these angels and then people that are in the different uh, departments we're gonna look at today, all of them collectively will be, will be thrown into the lake of fire in the, ending, in, in the end. And really the lake of fire is the ultimate hell. And we're talking about different uh, uh, compartments of hell right now. But, and, and all of them you know, can generally be referred to hell. But true hell itself in, in the eternal sense uh, in, in what will always be and we're, and we're fallen angels and demons and Satan and the false prophet and the, and, and the antichrist and, and, and uh, blasphemers and murderers and everyone who has denied God, they will all be in this lake of fire in hell. Uh, and so that's what he's talking about, the judgment of the great day. So he says that uh, in the time of Noah, something happened that was so vile and so profane that the, there are certain angels. Now, we do know that there are fallen angels that are still at, uh, at large today. The Bible in the New Testament talks about principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, the spiritual host of, wit, uh, of wickedness in the heavenly realm. So there are degrees of satanic beings and fallen angels and demons and so forth 
that, that there, there's, a, there's a, a hierarchy, so to speak, and, and levels of these things. And they're very much active in the world today. But there is a class of angels or a group of angels from a particular time who are not free, thank God. They are not free. What they did was so vile that they were cast into this place called Tartarus and they were locked there and held there in eternal chains. So that just kind of gives you an idea of the uh, magnitude and the severity. Go with me over to Genesis and let's look at what happened. Go to Genesis chapter six. You'll notice that we read <clears throat> that whatever these angels uh, did or or I can say it like this, they were confined in this place of Tartarus and put under chains and it was tied to what happened during Noah's day. If you'll look at chapter six and we read this, uh, just kind of scanned over it in the weeks before talking about how Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You see that in verse number eight. Uh, back in verse number one, it says, now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days, in the days when the sons of God had, had uh, take, taken wives for themselves from the sons of men. There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men and they bore children to them. The children they bore were these giants. It says they were mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his spirit. What, what, a, what a pitiful verse. What a sad, sad verse. The Lord was, was grieved and sorry that he had created man. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Uh, it go, verse 8 says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Let's continue on just a minute. We drop down to uh, the, genea excuse me, the genealogy of, uh, of Noah. And then verse number 11, it says, the earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth and indeed it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. The day in which Noah lived was an extremely dark an evil day. And it says that there was a time when man began to multiply on the earth. And the sons of God, now there are different theories about this, and I have studied the, the most common or the most uh, uh, prominent or popular theories of who these sons of God were. And the only explanation that makes sense with other verses of scripture in the Bible, particularly in the book of Jude, if, uh, uh, Job. If you go to Job in the Old Testament and run a reference on the sons of God, there's three references there. And if you look at all three of them, I think it's in the first chapter, the second chapter, and the 38th chapter of Job, you will see that the sons of God there were references to the angels of God. So it says here that these sons of God, like I said, there are different views as to, as to who or what these these sons of God were, I believe that it's consistent with the narrative both here and in the New Testament that these were fallen angels that at the time of, of Noah began to manifest themselves in the earth and began to have sexual relations and enter into marriage with the daughters of men, in other words, regular human uh, women. Now, people have argued about that because against that, and they said, but Jesus said that the angels in heaven uh, are not like men, and they neither marry nor are given in marriage, and, uh, and it said that man will be like that in heaven. They'll be like the angels, but he said the angels in heaven are restricted from this, but these were not angels in heaven. These were fallen angels. We know that angels... Uh, when they have taken upon physical form 
in the earth in, in different places in the Bible, they looked like men very often. And they had physical attributes. They always looked male. They never looked female. They had masculine appearance, masculine, masculine attributes, and they actually interacted with people. You remember what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah, how the angels showed up and the, and the vile men and homosexuals of Sodom and Gomorrah's day, they wanted to rape these men. And so they certainly viewed them as being uh, uh, physical and have physical capabilities. So that's kind of the background and those were angels of God. Well, here it says during the time of Noah that these angels actually went in, it says, uh, to the women of, of, of men and chose wives of, of all they chose, of, of, and take, took wives of all they chose. And from that, those, that, that sexual encounter were born giants. In other words, not even fully human people part angelic and part human and that they were of, of enormous size. They were, they were beast-like. They were men of renown, it said, and it created a vile uh, offspring in the earth and it began to spread and began to populate the earth. And what, what Satan was trying to do, Satan overheard when God spoke to Adam and Eve and said that and, and talked about her seed that would come who would bruise Satan's head. What the devil was trying to do, he was trying to ruin the capability for there to be a godly seed. He was trying to wipe out the godly seed of Seth and his descendants in the earth and corrupt it. And God saw that even though Noah evidently was pure, Noah had not uh, fallen into this. Noah was a man who was separate from this. He had not been influenced with this and he found grace in the eyes of the Lord and he was considered righteous before God. And so God, in order to preserve the godly seed through Noah and to pass that down so that Christ could eventually come, he had to destroy the rest of the earth. And he did so in, in grief and in sorrow because of, of what had happened in the earth. Are you following me? So this is what happened in those days. There were fallen angels who were taken and placed in this, in this dark underworld, a place of darkness called Tartarus. And they were not only confined there in a prison-like confinement, but also in chains. Now, let's go over uh, and skip over to the New Testament and let's look at Luke chapter 16, Luke 16. The second place of departed spirits that we want us to talk about here today is hell and paradise. In the 16th chapter of Luke, we have the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And so let's just go ahead and read the whole story, there's about uh, 20 verses here or, or, or so. Uh, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, if you have an older King James, it says hell. If you have a new King James or most newer translations, it says Hades. Being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed so that those who would want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren that he may testify to them lest they also come to this place of torment. 
Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rose from the dead. Well, we know ultimately one did rise from the dead. And we see that men have rejected him just like they've rejected the word of God. And so we have this story here of a rich man who died, who didn't care about anyone but himself, who never uh, helped anyone, died without God, and he went to a place of, of torment. He went to hell. He went to what is called Hades. And the, the, the poor man, Lazarus, he died, and he went to a place called paradise. Did you see that? And... Uh, he was, called, he was carried to a place called Abraham's bosom, which is paradise. In the Old Testament, there is the, the, the Hebrew word is Sheol, or Sheol. And Sheol is the place of departed spirits in the Old Testament. Its counterpart is Hades in the New Testament. Now, Sheol in the Old Testament originally was the place of all departed spirits, both ungodly and those who uh, died in faith and were considered righteous by God. When people died, even men like Noah and Abraham and people like that, when they died in the Old, Test in the Old Testament, they couldn't go to heaven because they had not been redeemed yet. They died in faith, and so they went to Sheol. But in Sheol, there were two places in Sheol. There was one place which is where the wicked went, and there was another place that was called Abraham's bosom. And that's what is in the story here because, you know, when Jesus told the story, he hadn't gone to the cross yet. So this was still basically an Old Testament uh, reality. And so when men who believed in God and who were judged righteous by faith in the Old Testament and up through the time of Christ and during his day, when people like that died, they went to Sheol too, but Sheol had two compartments. And one was for the ungodly dead and one was for the godly dead. And it was called Abraham's bosom. Uh, you can see in this that, that you would consider the, the place where the ungodly were to be hell, but the place where the godly were to not be hell. And that would, and that would be accurate though they were both under the general category of Sheol. And the difference is the people in, 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 in hell, the ungodly, they were in torment. They were in flames of fire. The people who were in, the, in Abraham's bosom, Jesus in this story here, now people have said, well, this was just a parable. It's just, he's just giving a, a, a story to present a certain truth. He said there was a certain man named Lazarus and there was a certain rich man and that it happened and so this wasn't a parable if it had been a parable Jesus wouldn't have said it the way he did this actually happened there was a rich man and there was a, a, a man named Lazarus and, and Lazarus and this did happen to them and so these two places exist there was a place where uh, the the ungodly went and they are in conscious torment in flame their mental capacity is intact they remember everything that happened on the earth. And evidently they can see the, the glory at that time. At least they could see the glory or the comfort that was in Abraham's bosom. And they could call out. But it doesn't appear that the people in Abraham's bosom could see or hear them except maybe Abraham. And so we don't have a full declaration of how that all worked. But, but Abraham said there's a great gulf fixed between the two of us. And those in your place cannot come over here and those in this place cannot go there. And he described Lazarus as being in a place of comfort. So we know that when people died trusting in God in the Old Testament, they went to this compartment of shield called Abraham's bosom and it was a place of rest and it was a place of comfort. But both of these places... The people in Sheol proper and in Abraham's bosom, in both of those places, it was a temporary thing. They were awaiting another uh, place, another destination. 
Well, the Bible teaches us without going into all the scriptures, if you know your New Testament, you know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto man. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he took all of the righteous dead that were in Abraham's bosom and, and brought them to heaven and the place where they are now in heaven is called paradise. You remember the apostle Paul talked about the fact that he was called up into paradise, into the third heaven. And so the people in, in uh, Abraham's bosom, that, that entire compartment that in, and all of the inhabitants there were taken to heaven. So now when the righteous die, they don't go to Sheol, they go to heaven into a place that's, that is, is described as paradise. Paul said, my desire is to depart and to be with the Lord, which is far better. He said, if we are absent from the body, we're present with the Lord. Well, being present with the Lord is paradise. Isn't that right? So Christians today, when they die, when believers die, they go to heaven. They don't go into Sheol. They don't go into Abraham's bosom in a place below. They go up into heaven and it is paradise and they're with the Lord. The people who were in Sheol in proper, in the uh, place of departed spirits of the ungodly, they're still there today. And that's what the New Testament is talking about when it uses the word Hades. Jesus used that word. Other people use that word. It was translated hell uh, 10 times in the New Testament. The word Hades is translated hell 10 times in the older King James. And one time uh, it was translated the grave. Neither of those is, is, is well, the grave is, is not really a good translation because when people die, they don't just go to the grave because going to the grave is not a place of consciousness. People who die today go to hell and I think it's still good to call Hades hell because it's still under the general category of places of departed spirits who are awaiting judgment. And so today when we talk about people go, who die and go to hell, we're technically, I, I don't have any problem with saying that, I say it myself. Technically, we're talking about they go to Hades or what was in the Old Testament called Sheol, the place of departed spirits. That place still exists. It's still being populated today. And remember that all of hell, all of the compartments of hell were not created for men. They were created for the devil and his angels. But because of sin, because of rebellion, people go there. No one goes to hell by the will of God. They all go there against the will of God. And, and it, God's not willing that any go there. But people go there because of their own choice. So we have today, we have Hades, which we would, we would rightly call hell. And uh, it too is a temporary place. The people who are in hell are there, but, but they're not always gonna be in that hell. A lot of times when I'm giving invitations, I will say, you know, if you go to hell, you never get out. I mean, you're there for eternity. Well, I'm talking about the bigger picture of hell. This particular location and department of hell will be emptied out. In fact, this Hades itself will be cast into the lake of fire. Everybody in it will be cast into the lake of fire. So Hades is where people go today, the hell people go to today, where there is conscious torment in flame. It will be even more intense because what will happen uh, during the, the day in which we live, ungodly people, unsaved people, go to Hades where they are in torment and they're conscious, but they are only spirits. At the end of the millennial reign of Christ, the ungodly dead will be raised up. They will be resurrected. They will receive bodies again and they will be cast spirit, soul, and body into the lake of fire. And so the lake of fire is the ultimate hell. And so when, when I'm talking about, you hear preachers talk about hell, it, there's really different places, but they all come into the general category or the general uh, 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 name of hell. So we have Tartarus, we have paradise, which is now in heaven, which is just being with the Lord. We have the Old Testament Sheol, which, which corresponds to the New Testament word Hades. In the Old Testament, it had two uh, compartments, the ungodly and the righteous dead. Today, Haiti only has one compartment, and that is the compartment of the unrighteous dead. Uh, then we have another place of departed spirits, and go with me to Luke chapter 8. 
Luke chapter 8. Are you staying with me? Luke chapter 8. And let's look at verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he, Jesus, stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons. Now, do you believe this was an actual man or is this just a story? Well, it just says a certain man doesn't even name him. When we were talking about the rich man and Lazarus, he said a certain man and named Lazarus. So uh, this actually happened as well. When he stepped out on the land, a certain man met him from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him and with a loud voice said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had often seized him and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles. And he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Jesus asked him saying, what is your name? And he said, legion, for many demons had entered him. Then they, this this many demons, begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. Now this is, we've talked about Tartarus, we've talked about paradise, we've talked about hell, uh, Hades. Now this fourth place of departed spirits is called the abyss. These evil spirits begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. Now the abyss is also referred to over in the book of Revelation as the bottomless pit. And here it's called the abyss. The abyss is a special place where certain uh, fallen spirits are cast awaiting judgment. And these, not all demons are in the abyss. Some of these demons, you see the demons that were here this day, they were loose on the earth. They were running around on the planet tormenting people. And they begged him that he would not command them to go into the abyss. Well, you know, if you, you have to believe that if Jesus could have commanded them to go into the abyss, he would have. Because he didn't command them to go into the abyss, it's because it wasn't the proper time for this. There is coming a time when all demons will be cast into the abyss, into the bottomless pit. Uh, Let's go over to to Revelation and read a little bit about this. Revelation chapter 9. Revelation 9. All of these places are different places. They're distinct from one another. Revelation 9. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. This is verse number 1. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. This is the same place as the abyss. And he opened the bottomless pit and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth and to them was given power over the scorpions of the earth as the scorpions of the earth have power. Go over to verse number 11. And he and they had as kings, and they had as king over them an angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew is Abaddon, but in the Greek he has the name Apollyon. And then in chapter eleven, verse number seven, chapter eleven, verse number seven, when they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, and overcome them and kill them. And go to chapter seventeen. Chapter 17, and look at verse number 8. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend, ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and is yet to come. And then over in chapter 20 of Revelation, Revelation 20, verse number one, and we'll read 10 verses. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven having the key to the bottomless pit, the abyss, and a great chain in his hand. 
He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and put a seal on him so that he would deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. So this is during the thousand year reign or what we call the millennial reign of Christ. Satan and other, uh, the false prophet and uh, uh, the, uh, the antichrist, they will be placed in the bottomless pit. Only they're not, they, do, they don't come out. Satan does come out of this place after a thousand years. He said, I saw, verse number four, I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshiped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or in their hands and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection, over such the second death has no authority. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison, that is from the abyss, and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breath of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So we see that at the end of the millennial reign of Christ, the beast, the false prophet, the antichrist, uh, Satan, uh, and these fallen spirits that are in the abyss, and certainly some demons are there, but many are loose on the earth today, that at that time they will be placed into the bottomless pit. And so that's another place of, uh, of, of uh, departed spirits. And then we come to what I would refer to as hell proper. In other words, the, the eventual hell. I started to say the, the, the general concept of hell, but... It's, it's a particular place, the lake of fire. It's hell proper. We consider all of these places different manifestations of the general idea of hell, but there is a place called the lake of fire. And very often when Jesus talked about men being cast into hell, sometimes he used the word uh, Hades, which is a place that men go to at his day, in his day, and people go today. There is not yet, as far as I can tell, any person or any beings in the lake of fire. As far as I can tell from the scriptures, there is no one in the lake of fire. Fallen angels or anywhere else. They're either in Tartarus or men are in, in Sheol or Hades. There, are, uh, there will be people in the, in, in, and evidently there are fallen spirits now in the abyss. But as far as I can ascertain, the lake of fire is presently empty. It will be the ultimate hell, the final hell, where for everyone who is ungodly and denies God will go. And Jesus often talked about this. Go with me to Matthew uh, 5. Matthew 5. And let's look at verse, verses 29 and 30 without taking the time to read all the context. He said in verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Now, many times Jesus used the word Hades, but here he didn't use the word Hades for hell. In these passages and several others I have written out here, we won't read all of them, several places he used the word Gehenna, Gehenna, not Hades. Gehenna uh, was a, a, a reference to a Jewish tradition. Back uh, originally, there was a valley of, of Hinnom, outside of Jerusalem. 
And it was a place where refuge and garbage was taken and was burned. And there was a perpetual fire at, at this valley of Hinnom that was burning all the time in order to purify and keep disease and pestilence and so forth out. They kept this fire. And there was a particular place and, and, and the, the name of, that, of this particular place where the fire was actually at starts with a T. It slipped my mind. Maybe it'll come back in a few minutes. There was a place there that was actually where the fire was. So this valley of, 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 uh, of Hinnom came to, to represent to the Jews before Jesus came. It took on uh, this, this tradition. It, it came to represent the place where ungodly people went when they died. That the ungodly, when they died, they went to Gehenna, and, uh, which was, like I said, based on the valley of, of, of Hinnom. And we know that the ungodly actually went to Sheol when they died. But the tradition was, in other words, there was this, in, in Israel's history, there was this actual valley near Jerusalem that was on fire a lot of the time. And there was at least a part of it that burned perpetually. So the Jews kind of locked on to that imagery and they said when people died, they went to Gehenna. Jesus used that word. So when Jesus used the word Gehenna, he was actually talking about the lake of fire. He was talking about hell in its final uh, manifestation. And so he talked about people uh, being careful to live a godly life and do whatever you have to do to make sure you live right because you certainly don't want to go to, to Gehenna, to hell, or would be the lake of fire. Uh, I said all of that so that you would understand that hell is more than just one location, but generally speaking, it's the place today where people who are unsaved go it's a place of torment the place people go today they will it's a it's a holding tank you could you could consider it uh, sort of like the difference between the county jail and and prison you know whenever you're uh, when you've been tried and you've been convicted sometimes you'll be held in the county jail or you'll be held in the county jail awaiting conviction well see the conviction is the great white throne judgment and at the great white throne judgment, all of the people who are in Hades will be judged according to the, their life and what they did and the things written in the, in the word of God and whether or not their name is in the, in the book of life. And all of those who are in, in county jail will be sentenced to prison and that prison will be the ultimate uh, hell, which is the lake of fire. I said all that to say this, people go there. It's a horrible thing. It's a place of conscious, and in, and in eternity, hell will be spirit, soul, and body. Jesus described it as a place where the worm does not die, where there is wailing and gnashing of teeth. It will go on forever and ever and ever and ever. We, as the church, this, the reality of this should stir us to take every opportunity to make sure we're sensitive to the leading of the Spirit when he, when he talks to us about going to someone. That we not pass, that, pass over that and let that slip away because people's eternal destiny hang in the balance. Heaven is a wonderful place we're gonna get to, to enjoy, but we have to be interested more than ourselves because a lot of people are not going to heaven there, and there's not any other place to go. People either go to heaven or they go to hell. There's no, other, there's no other option. There's no other destination when people leave here. And so we must, we must redouble our consecration and our, uh, and our dedication and our resolve to make sure that we uh, give our testimony and that we live every day in a way that will, that will cause people to want what we have. And that we're always ready. And people are not always ready. They're not always in a, in a place where they will hear your witness. But your, but your witness in, by your life always speaks. And so let us live this way and let us be sensitive to the Spirit of God that when he does lead us 
to share like I've been talking about recently, just some simple something about some wonderful truth you heard at church. Now, today's message might not be that truth you'd want to share. Oh, I just heard about hell this week. Would you like to know about it? Uh, that might not be the best uh, a witnessing tool. But on the other hand, it is truth. And I'm not saying it couldn't be. I'm just saying that when God gives us opportunity, let us be diligent. Let us be responsive to the Spirit of God and, and point people to the way out of hell, to escape because judgment is coming on this world. And you can look around and you can see, yeah, this world deserves judgment. There, is, there will be no one in hell who doesn't deserve to be there. But at the same time, mercy is being offered right now. The grace of God is being offered. And every person who deserves hell today that's alive today, grace is also available. And God wants to save them because they're no different than you and I when we were in that same condition. We deserved hell and God's grace and mercy brought us out of that uh, future and out of that destiny and gave us a destiny of heaven and paradise with God. And so people are like that. They're in that condition today. Let us not be uh, let us not be moved by the the. Uh, let us not be moved by what people deserve. Just think about what we deserved, Amen. Let us be moved by the grace of God that's being offered, that people can escape what they deserve and get what they don't deserve, which is what we have: salvation, Amen. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.